0: Today we're reading Acts chapters 4 through 6. In chapter 4, Peter and John go before the Sanhedrin, beginning with verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about five thousand. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes, and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole." This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straitly threaten them that they should speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus.' But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above forty years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. Chapter 4 here continues with an incident that began in Acts chapter 3. In chapter 3, Peter and John were just minding their own business as they headed into the temple when they were stopped by a lame man there looking for a handout. Acts chapter 3 verse 6 says, Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Afterward, the man gets up and goes into the temple with Peter and John. The people who had been seeing the lame man day in and day out for perhaps decades sought an explanation, and bold old Peter feels inclined to preach to them Jesus. You can imagine the commotion that message caused, so much so that Jewish leaders are upset again. That's where we pick it up here in chapter 4 with verses 1 and 2, which say, And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, came upon them being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, remember, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, period. Verse 4 gives us the magnitude of how rapidly the early church grew. Luke specifically tells us that this number of 5,000 represents the total of male-only believers at this point in time in the early church there in Jerusalem. Secular historical sources tell us that the Roman Empire sanctioned specific religious activities during this period. To the government officials all the way over in Rome, about 1,700 miles northwest, Christianity was a sect of Judaism, and it remained that way until 64 A.D. when Nero began specifically targeting Christians for persecution. Therefore, previous to 64 A.D., The Jewish leaders seem to feel a certain authority over those who preach Jesus. On this occasion, they take the liberty to lock up Peter and John until they can assemble the whole council of Jewish leaders for a hearing. This Jewish council was known as the Sanhedrin, and it was these very same Jewish leaders who had orchestrated the accusations against Jesus leading up to the crucifixion. The Roman government allowed the Sanhedrin to police their own people including the disciplining of these renegade Jews known as Christians. Now, just for some extra perspective here, it was the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection, controlling the priesthood, though, during this period of time. These are the ones who had Peter and John arrested on this occasion. Not only had they caught Peter and John preaching the resurrection, they were preaching that the resurrection is facilitated by Jesus Christ himself. The Sanhedrin was comprised of both Sadducees and Pharisees. The Pharisees had a running conflict with the Sadducees regarding the validity of the resurrection of the dead. However, both factions agreed that it was harmful to their cause for anyone to be preaching the resurrection with the Jesus component added. It's worth noting in this passage that even in the face of death, Peter is denying nothing here, nor is John. Even after a night in Jewish custody, the next day when Peter and John appear before the Sanhedrin, Peter turns loose on these men with an admirable boldness. Was he tactful? Nah. He accuses them of crucifying Jesus in verse 10 and proclaims to them that Jesus resurrected from the dead. Peter goes messianic in verse 11 when he quotes David from Psalm 118.22. That verse says, the stone which the builders refused has become the head of the corner. Isaiah had made certain that all would understand this stone to be a reference to the Messiah when he wrote in Isaiah 28:16 the following. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. This verse is also used by Jesus himself in a parable to the Jewish leaders regarding his imminent crucifixion in matthew chapter 21 verse 42 mark chapter 12 verse 10 and luke 20 verse 17 all three parallel passages so when peter ties the reference to the rejected stone of psalm 118 22 and isaiah twenty-eight sixteen, and he ties that to jesus and then in no uncertain terms tells the sanhedrin that they've crucified the promised messiah well That's a powerful statement of indictment against the Sanhedrin. Just to make certain they don't miss the point, Peter adds in verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Incidentally, we also see a reference to the stone of stumbling prophecy in Romans chapter 9, verse 33, and again in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. Well, what to do, what to do. For fear of the vast multitude had responded to the salvation message, the Sanhedrin confers and then decides to simply threaten Peter and John. However, right there in their faces, Peter proclaims in verses 19 and 20, "...whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard." Well, because of the people, what else could the Sanhedrin do? They threatened some more, and then let them go. Beginning with verse 23, Peter and John report back to the church of everything that's taken place. Verse 23, And being let go, they went to their own company, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord, and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea, and all that in them is. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage, and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand of thy counsel determined for to be done... Now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness." Well, we see here the confrontation and verbal victory over the Sanhedrin. Well, that's big news back with the new believers of the church in Jerusalem. Understand the magnitude of what's just happened. Peter boldly declared that salvation was only through Jesus to the very men who orchestrated the illegal trials of Jesus leading up to the crucifixion. Yet they just walked away without a scratch. Notice in verses 25 and 26 the reference to Psalm 2. This messianic psalm of David gets considerable New Testament treatment. As recorded by all three synoptic gospels in Matthew 3.17, Mark 1.11, and Luke 3.22, Psalm 2 here seems likely to be the purpose of God's voice from heaven at the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist saying in verse 7... Thou art my beloved Son, and thee I am well pleased. The capture and release of Peter and John precipitates a big prayer meeting that ends with verse 31, which says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Now, we see in the continuation of chapter 4, beginning with verse 32, that the believers there at the church of Jerusalem, they shared everything. Verse 32, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles feet and distribution was made into every man according as he had need and Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed barnabas which is being interpreted the son of consolation a levite and of the country of cyprus having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Well, here we see that these early Christians in Jerusalem were so bonded together through their faith in Jesus Christ that they shared everything as family, even to the point of selling possessions and sharing the proceeds with the body of believers as well. As a matter of fact, we see our first mention of Barnabas here in that context. He sells a piece of land and brings the proceeds to the apostles for distribution. Barnabas, a Levite believer, subsequently becomes a notable influence in the early church movement. If you want to know more about Barnabas, then check the written notes for today's reading, and to the right there you'll see uh, an excerpt taken from Easton's Bible Dictionary regarding Barnabas. That brings us to chapter 5. In this chapter, we find an unusual way to die. It concerns Ananias and Sapphira. Verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much? And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. Not everyone was sharing their possessions with the proper attitude. After a man named Joseph, who turns out to be Barnabas, after he sold his land and brought the entire proceeds of its sale to the apostles for distribution, Another named Ananias, along with his wife Sapphira, just loved the attention he'd received after doing so. However, being a little bit stingy, they sold a piece of property, brought some of the proceeds to the apostles in front of a crowd, of course, and represented that this was the entire amount received from the sale. It's kind of an amusing story. They arrive individually before Peter to get their recognition for their generous contribution, only to find a bigger surprise than they anticipated. The story is enhanced by the fact that they came in before the apostles and the crowd of admiring believers separately, first Ananias and then three hours later Sapphira. Both are struck dead as they perpetuate this lie. When I hear some Christians talk about being slain in the Spirit, I can't help but reflect on this passage and think, well, there's your biblical precedent for it. Notice their sin was lying to the Holy Spirit. Only saved people can be held accountable before God like that. This was clearly chastisement of believers resulting in death. Some might find these two immediate deaths troubling and some preachers have abused this passage so as to strike fear into the hearts of their congregants. Ananias and Sapphira were not two sold-out Christians who simply had a lapse of judgment and good character. Their intent from the beginning was wrong, amounting to conspiracy to deceive for the purpose of gathering praise from the apostles and the people. Their actions were not inadvertent. They were blatantly defiant against God." Thus, they become the examples of God's wrath on believers who exercise a cold rebellion against God. Now, if you'd like to understand more about the concept, the biblical concept of chastisement, then check out my written notes on Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 17 for all the details. In chapter 5, beginning with verse 12, we find the apostles once again appearing before the Sanhedrin. Verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets, and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is of the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors, and brought them forth, and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keeper standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, "'Did we not straitly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us.' Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, "'We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree.' Him hath God exalted with His right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are His witnesses of these things, and so also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey Him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Well, times are good here in Jerusalem among the believers. Lots happening to confirm their faith gathered there at the temple in Solomon's porch. People from around town and out of town are coming to visit these new believers, and they're bringing people with them to get healed. New people continue to get saved. The apostles here are winning the hearts of the multitude daily. Well, it's time for the Sanhedrin to get rolling again. They arrest the apostles and place them in common prison until they can convene a meeting for the next day. However, an angel delivers them from prison, and the next morning they're out preaching the temple again. Now, that's bold. The guards are once again sent out to bring the apostles before the Sanhedrin. For fear of the people, they do so with as little fanfare as possible. Before the Sanhedrin, the high priest asked in verse 28, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Well, that's quite an interesting statement coming from the high priest. In fact, they had been responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. But they'd made every effort to make the crucifixion look like a Roman plot from start to finish. That's why they had arrested Jesus at night and conducted six trials while the people slept. The next morning, when the Jewish populace awoke, Jesus was hanging on a Roman cross. Yup, the Jewish leaders had gone to a lot of trouble to make it look like an all-Roman crucifixion. Now, here is Peter telling the crowds of Jews the real truth. Well, naturally, the Sanhedrin doesn't like the truth... Peter boldly lets loose on them once again. Having heard Peter's reply, we read in verse 33, When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Well, in verses 34 to 42, we find that this time the visit to the Sanhedrin is accompanied with a beating. Verse 34, Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space, and said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rode up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about four hundred, joined themselves, who was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him, he also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God." And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were found worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. Well, here's Gamaliel, a Pharisee, and he was part of the Sanhedrin, And, of course, he was well-respected among the other members of the Sanhedrin. He reasons that they should release the apostles because if what they are preaching is not of God, it will self-destruct. Obviously looking for a face-saving way out, the Sanhedrin adopts his solution. Gamaliel's words are heeded, and the disciples are released with just a beating in verse 40. Verse 41 says they left their beaten rejoicing incidentally sometimes false doctrine lasts for centuries the words of gamaliel here an unregenerate man but a reasonable man cannot be adopted as a doctrinal principle for christians as believers we are well aware that the power of satan will last in this world until the second coming of jesus christ so it is not true, as Gamaliel said in verse 38, if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. That brings us to chapter 6. And we have a plea for help. Verse 1 And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because the widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them, and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, And Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor, and Timon and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, while it doesn't specifically say so here, we assume that these men are the first deacons of the early church. The elders were overcome with responsibilities, and they sought some assistance. It appears that the Greek-speaking Hebrew widows were not getting as much attention as the Aramaic-speaking Hebrew widows. Keep in mind that this church had grown well past 5,000 men, and that's not counting women and children. When the distribution of the provisions became a daunting task for the apostles, they directed the people to recommend men to assist in this task. We see in verse 7 that they laid their hands on these seven men, thus ordaining them, presumably, as deacons. The uh, seven men that were appointed were Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. All seven of these men had Greek names, but they were Jews either by birth or through proselytization. It appears that the goal was to give the Greek-speaking Hebrew widows representation in Jerusalem— by appointing like-minded men to help in the service of the church. Paul later gives the criteria for evaluating prospective deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 8 through 13. Two of these men go on to accomplish greater tasks, Stephen's bold message and martyrdom in Acts chapter 7, and Philip's introduction of Christianity to the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. We begin the story in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, of Stephen, who got on the wrong side of the Sanhedrin. Verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they suborned them, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Well, Stephen's a new deacon here, and he's preaching. However, he upsets some people with his proclamation of Jesus and finds himself standing before that same Sanhedrin that seems to hate this new Jesus movement. They brought him in with some trumped-up false accusations. I feel a bold message coming on. Let him have it, Stephen. The message is actually found in Acts chapter 7. Incidentally, we don't have much to go on regarding the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians and Alexandrians. There were multiple Jewish synagogues in Jerusalem attended by people of varying interests and backgrounds. The people indicated in verse 8 came from one of those synagogues. Probably Stephen had made a stop by the synagogue, and they obviously did not appreciate his preaching. And we're going to see Stephen's last message in our next reading from the book of Acts, which will be on the 12th, by the way, as we look at his message in Acts chapter 7. This concludes our podcast for today.